0: spring again this week as we look to the good weather. As I said, we're preparing for Easter this month coming up. Church is a place to bring your friends and family to hear about God, and so are the life groups. Use this opportunity when they're thinking about the Easter season. It's not about bunnies. It's not about Easter eggs. It's about our Lord and Savior who came from heaven to earth to die on the cross for our sins and raise again for our life. Amen. So we're going through the book of Matthew verse by verse, chapter by chapter. You can find all the notes and former sermons online. Even this one is on our app today. So at the website, the app, Facebook, stay in touch with us so you can keep up with what God's doing. Today we're going to actually finish the Sermon on the Mount which is Jesus' most popular sermon through Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Today we're in chapter 7, and I think that this title for the sermon summarizes this chapter, Build Your Life Upon the Rock. We're going to learn to build our life upon the rock of God's word. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. I have a helpful meme today that I want to put up and start with because I think it's going to be illustrative of how people read uh, Matthew chapter 7 seven. Here it is. Read it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Do not judge or you too will be judged. Okay, close your Bibles. Time to go home. That was the message. I mean, isn't that it? Mic drop. Don't preach to me, preacher. Don't judge me or you're going to be judged. The world has so corrupted this verse that they don't understand it, and then we as Christians are sometimes intimidated by it, but I want to tell you, I love this verse, and I love this passage, and I am obedient to it, and so should you. But let's just think about how it's being wrongly used. People wrongly use this verse to basically say, don't make a moral decision about my behavior or you're going to have somebody make a moral decision about your behavior. My friends, all of us are going to have God make moral decisions about our behavior, God told us in the book of Matthew, we're supposed to tell each other to repent of the things he has called sin, so that when we get to that judgment day, it's not a surprise. So I say to people who always come at me and go, don't judge me, only God can judge me. I go, yeah, that's true, and that should scare the hell out of you. That should scare the hell out of you, because on judgment day, there'll be hell to pay. It's our job to get you ready for Judgment Day. So would Jesus be contradicting what the book of Matthew has already taught us? Can we just go back to the book of Matthew, the portions we've already read? Would you go to Matthew chapter 3, look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, and let me ask all of the scholars and mathematicians here, what comes first, uh, chapter 3 or chapter 7? Three comes first. So chapter 7 comes after 3. So when it says judge not lest ye be judged in a more classic translation, would he be contradicting what he had already affirmed or what preachers had already said in the prior chapters? Of course not. Let's go to it. My brother, we're just waiting for you. Appreciate your help there. The Bible teaches. It's not on the, you got to look it up on the Bible, please. Let's give it up for Curtis in the back. He's amazing. Amen. Let's not make him feel bad when he forgets. We love you, my brother. You make it easy for me. It's just the times you make it hard, it's awkward. Because uh, then I have to like pretend I'm looking at this fan. Is this fan working? Well, I'm kidding. We don't even need the karaoke screen. You guys, memorize Matthew chapter 3. Recite it now. Here we go. Matthew chapter 3, verse 7. John the Baptist. How many know Jesus affirmed John the Baptist's ministry? So Jesus is not now going to make John the Baptist look like the Dunson class. Look at how John the Baptist preached and who... Uh, you know, as the forerunner to Jesus, baptized Jesus. Look at his message. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come into where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to, fr- to flee from the coming wrath? Well, sounds like John is a little judgy. Bad John. Don't judge John. Don't you know you're going to be judged? You see, Whatever Jesus is going to teach us in Matthew chapter 7 and onward about judgment, it's not going to be against the kind of preaching that John the Baptist did. Let's move on to Jesus. Let's see if Jesus would contradict himself. Go to Matthew chapter 4 verse 17. What comes first, 4 or 7? Four. So would chapter Four contradict Chapter Seven? No, and as the Holy Spirit is leading Matthew to write this, would Matthew contradict the recollections that the Holy Spirit's giving him? Would the Holy Spirit give him contradictory information? No, look at what Jesus started preaching in Matthew 4:17, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, "Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near." How many know in the book of Acts, we have to preach that same exact message? Go to Acts chapter 2. Did the early church forget Jesus' message about not judging and start making it up as they go along? No. In Acts chapter 2 verse 38, they carry on the traditions of John the Baptist and of Jesus Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where we get the name Acts is Acts of the Apostles. Let's be like them. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now let's go back to the meme, please, good sir. Could John the Baptist, Jesus, and the Apostles preach repentance of sin without making moral decisions, of course not. If you're preaching to somebody, repent of a sin, and they ask you, well, what is a sin? You can't say back to them, well, it's not my job the judge. It's not my job to judge. You just go figure it out. No, you're supposed to then say, let me give you examples of what sins are. Let me show you what a sin is. Let me show you the commandments of God and how you're breaking them. So, whatever this means, because we're about actually ready to read the rest of it and it will explain to us exactly what it means. Whatever it means, let's just pause here and agree it doesn't mean what the sinner thinks it means. It's the exact opposite, actually, of what they think it means. Let's go to the scripture in the notes, please. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and onward. Let's read it in context and listen to the simple message Jesus gave us about judging. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the plank from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Wow. It's kind of important what comes after that first verse, isn't it? Let's go back to that first verse and see if we can understand it now in what we call context. We don't erase the context. We don't ignore the context. We look at the context. So if I'm preaching the gospel, here's a fun one-liner to say to people because I'll do it. And if they do a little drive-by and they go, judge not, let she be judged, I can shout back, are you judging me, judging you? because that's kind of hypocritical, because you're judging me right now. I actually do this on Facebook all the time, because I'll post a scripture, and it will just offend people, just a scripture, offends people, talking about the Bible, offends people, okay? And so some people will be like, do not judge, let's see be judges and all this stuff, and I'm like, are you judging me right now? And I, and I wish I could have a meme of this. The person literally wrote back, and goes, I'm not judging you, I'm just telling you what kind of a blankety-blank you are. Somebody didn't eat their logical breakfast this morning. You forgot your non contradiction oats this morning. You just contradicted yourself in one sentence a bunch of times. That's a special kind of foolishness. That's the kind that Mr. T says he pities the fool like you, but they think they're so smart. I'm not judging, I'm not judging. Well, sounds like you're making moral decisions about my behavior. But is that what Jesus is talking about there? Absolutely not. Jesus is not saying, don't make moral decisions. Otherwise, people will make moral decisions about you. Because how could we ever have real justice in the world unless people made moral decisions? Some people just say, "Well, I don't judge anybody. I don't judge anybody. I just say, you do you. You do you. That's how I live. You do you. You know what? They say that until you slap them upside their head and steal their purse or their wallet And then they say, well, hold on, don't do you if it hurts me then. You see, people say, do you until it bothers them. Nobody really lives by the you do you. They really just want you to get out of their business and leave them alone. Can I give you the actual context of what's happening here? Jesus is talking to Jewish people who lived in a time where the Sanhedrin, the Jewish court, ruled their society. They were a sub-society in the Roman society. That means they could arrest people. They could put people out of the synagogue. They could make judgments. So number one, when someone says, don't judge me lest ye be judged, I'm like, I'm not. I have no authority or jurisdiction over you. I can't put you out of the synagogue. I can't have your family be penalized because you're doing wrong things. I can't punish you for eating lechon pork. I am not a judge in a place over you. Let's go to Romans chapter 2. Paul deals with these Jewish people later on. The book of Romans comes before or after the life of Jesus. Which one? After the life of Jesus. Let's see how Paul applied this kind of teaching. Go to Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Paul, talking to the same kind of Jews, draws this out a little bit more because he shows them they're doing it wrong as leaders. Look at what it says. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you do what? You who pass judgment do the Okay, you who pass judgment do what? The same thing. So are we supposed to stop judging? No, we're supposed to stop judging the things we're actually doing go back to the passage. Let's see if it makes sense. Why does he call the person a hypocrite? Because the person has a plank in their eye, and they're trying to help somebody get a speck out of their eye. So let's imagine this. Let's imagine there's Mike and there's Tom, okay? And let's say both Mike and Tom are having an affair. Now, if you're here today, please don't take it personal. I'm using your name, Mike or Tom, okay? It's just the names I'm using. But if you are having an affair and your name is Mike or Tom, take it as a sign from God, okay? (laughs) So Mike and Tom... Are both having an affair. According to the Bible, they have specks in their eye. But let's say now Mike is the pastor, and now Mike kicks Tom out of the church for having an affair, but he is having the, an affair himself. That's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, you want to punish, remember the woman caught in adultery, you want to throw the stone at her, but where's the fella? Where's the guy? He was probably one of the hypocrites with the stone. And Jesus is saying, he was without sin, throw the first stone. If you have not been a part of this, then you make the judgment. But if you are a part of it, you can't make the judgment. So now watch, watch, watch. Because now everybody just wants to go, okay, well, nobody's perfect. Everybody's in sin. No, what does he now say? He says, hold on. The one that has the plank is worse. What makes them worse They're judging people for the same sins they're committing, just like Romans 2. That makes them worse. So what does Jesus then say? Y'all just walk around with planks and specks in your eyes then, because nobody's going to be able to help you. No, no, no. He goes to the one with the plank, and he goes, hey, Bubba, this is what you need to do. Repent of your judging others. Then repent for the speck that caused you to have a plank. Now watch. Now go help the brother who has a speck. This is actually teaching us the opposite to not judge. It's teaching us how to judge. The Bible actually wants us removing specks out of people's eyes. We're supposed to remove specks out of people's eyes. We're just not supposed to do it as hypocrites. So if I come to you as a pastor and I show you that you're in sin, I'm not kicking you out doing bad things. I'm doing that to help you. And if you said, who are you to judge me? I would say, a person just like you who used to have specks and planks, but now I see. Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye now. He doesn't say just walk away from each other and go, well, you guys settled that. Two sinners talking to each other can't help each other. Noah said, one of you, at least one of you, even if it's the worst of you, you get the junk out of your eye. So you can go to your brother, please scroll down, so you can go to your brother and clearly remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now when we understand this passage, we get it. We're supposed to be making judgments. We're supposed to be helping people, but we're not supposed to be doing it as their final judge, like we're sending them to hell. We're supposed to be doing it as a fellow person who has been a sinner that now is a saint helping them to be a saint. Now do you notice that it says by the same measure you judge, it's going to be judged back to you. That doesn't mean when I get to heaven, if I've been a judgy person like Wendy on her talk show, making all of her gossipy news, it doesn't mean now Wendy is my judge because the measure I judge by, now she's my judge. No, what it means is on this earth, if you live messy, you'll always be in a mess. In this earth, if you're always making false judgments, people will make false judgments against you. Let me give you the example with First Baptist Church. First Baptist Church loves Jesus. They have all the right doctrine. They're doing all the right things. But eventually, one of the leaders of First Baptist says, hey, I think the women should wear head coverings in church. Wear a head covering. If you're not wearing a head covering, you're wrong. And so they take out of context something that Jesus did, uh, uh, rather that Paul did in his culture and his community and they now force it on everybody in the church. Well, then First Baptist begins to have a fight. There's those that are going to do the head covering and those who are not going to do the head covering. Eventually, the church splits And then 2nd Baptist starts just a few miles down the road. 1st and 2nd Baptist, they're almost identical to each other, except 2nd Baptist has head coverings. And they think they're better than those sinners over there that the women don't have head coverings. Everything's good, right? No. A little bit later on in 2nd Baptist, somebody raises up and says, "Ah brothers and sisters, we ought to be reading out the King James Bible only. The these and the vows are sacred and holy. And then all of a sudden, now watch, those who were judgy in 2nd Baptist, that left 1st Baptist, now start to get judged by another group within their group about not reading the King James. And so then there's a church split. They move down the road a few miles and they call themselves third Baptist. They're just like first Baptist and second Baptist, except now they have head coverings and they read the King James Bible. Do you see the example here? This is what Jesus is saying. If you judge people outside of the Bible, eventually others are going to start judging you outside of the Bible. You are going to reap what you sow in this world in the way you judge but all of us are being judged by the scripture, so we should be using that as our moral uh, you know, barometer. All of us should be teaching each other the scripture because isn't that the one I'm already being judged by? And then if somebody were to say to you, well, are you without sin? I'm not without sin. I'm not sinless, but I sin less. And I don't have the plank, and I don't have the speck. I'm just trying to help you which is the reason for verse number six. In the place of supposedly Jesus telling us not to judge, he actually tells us to make judgments about people to determine whether or not they're dogs or pigs. Why? Because when we're trying to be spec inspectors into each other's lives, there may be people who have attitudes like dogs and pigs who don't want our help. And we're supposed to make the judgment about their character and say, well, then you don't get it then. Thank you very much. I'll go to where someone wants to hear it. Dogs and pigs were the most filthiest animals of that culture. Not like your pet dog. These were the stray dogs who lived among the garbage and the, and the dumps. The pigs were filthy. That's why, one of the reasons why they didn't eat it is because God wanted to show them an a, a example of purity. Of course, we love bacon and lechon in the New Covenant. But in the Old Covenant, they were to look at the natural world and say, we're not filthy like pigs. We're not dirty like dogs. Even cute dogs can be dirty. Like our next-door neighbor just got... A new puppy, and my children love hanging out with the puppy. What's the puppy's name? Riley. And you know kids love dogs, and they're hanging out with them, but kids also talk and tell you whatever information they have on their mind. So they were telling me about how nice the dog is and all the fun things the dog does, and then they just said, and the dog eats the bird poop. (laughs) And dog eats bird poop. The dog eats the duck poop in our park area out there? Yeah, just choose it up. Dogs can eat vomited if you let them. Now, listen to Jesus. Is he saying everybody's a dog and a pig and he's just calling us names because he doesn't love us? No, he's saying you need to recognize what a dog is and what a pig is because don't give dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And another place we're going to learn that sometimes you just, just kind of shake off your dust and go, okay, cousin Flacco, let's talk about the cubs now. Go, cubs! Okay, let's talk about something else. I get it, but my hands are clean because I tried to talk to you. I tried to help you. The Bible is teaching us to not make the judgment on mere appearances, but on how they act. Go to John chapter seven, verse 24. I got a bunch of scriptures to go to. You all ready for them? Amen. God is enlightening you how to judge. He's not telling you not to judge. He's not contradicting himself. What he's saying is don't make hypocritical judgments. Would Jesus contradict himself by the recollection of John and the gospel of John? No, John and Matthew aren't going to contradict each other. They were both disciples of Jesus that heard what he taught. Listen to how John takes Jesus at his word. It says, stop judging by what? Mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. So when I see you, I'm not supposed to say, dog, pig, or you have tattoos, you have piercings, or your skin color is different than mine, or you don't wear a three-piece suit, Or, or you wear jeans. We're not supposed to judge each other by the appearances and go, dog, pig. No, we're supposed to judge how your fruit is, and fruit comes from your words and from your actions. We'll get to that in just a few moments. And so what Jesus is teaching us to do is not be like the Jewish leaders of that day, who were walking around saying, we're so much more moral than all of you. We'll kick you out the church and you out the church. And then they were committing the same exact sins. That's why Jesus said, I can't trust you anymore with the, the death penalty. If I trusted the church with the death penalty, Jesus is saying, all of y'all hypocrites would be killing each other. So in the new covenant, there isn't a death penalty. But guess what? There is judgments in the church. Let's go to the notes again. I have about five points there. I'll only read a few. Jesus commanded us to judge righteously. James, the leader of the church, made a judgment. Let's go to Acts 15. How many are learning something today? Amen. So we're taking back this passage that's been abused by the world, and we're redeeming it for God's glory. God forbid somebody walk up to you this week and say, don't judge me. I should say, God, allow it, because it will be good for them. Amen. But you'll be like, you have no idea how timely that is. Let me help you understand. Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 19. It is my humble opinion that I don't wish to offend anybody by. Is that what James says? You ever see that on Facebook? IMO, in my opinion, or IMHO, in my humble opinion. You know when they put that, it's about ready to get bad. In my humble opinion, I hated this restaurant and everything about it. In my humble opinion, I hate this video. When people do that, they're trying to set themselves up to be like super humble before they get mean. Most of the time. If you use that and you're nice, you know, I'm not talking about you. But most of the time. Does James say, in my opinion, we're going to do this? No, he says, it is my, come on, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So let me make an application to the message of don't judge directly to the modern church. We as pastors and elders and deacons better not fall into the trap of the Jewish leaders because when we make judgments, we'll be held more severely if we were making them falsely. But the Bible says we do have to make judgments, just like you do on your job, how you hire and fire, how you determine whether or not something is a good product. Don't you judge the product? Do you just look at everything that comes across your desk and go, that's great, that's awesome. No, you make judgments. Do you hire just anybody to babysit your children? No, you make judgments. And so we're supposed to do it rightly by the word of God. And his judgment in this situation was Gentiles don't have to become Jews to become Christians. There's a new covenant. That was important for the church. For examples like in this church... I have to be careful when people come from different backgrounds. Sometimes they have gang tattoos. I have to make a judgment. Can they serve as a leader, be an usher, when they've got their gang tattoos right there? We have to make judgments on people when they've had divorces and have come back and repented. How far can they go in our leadership system? You see, if we just said, leave it to God and the angel Gabriel to tell us, nothing would get done. God has already told us how to make those judgments from his word. And people have to stand up, and they did it in the consensus of leaders. And then one says, it's my judgment. Judgment. We do X, Y, and C, And about the tattoos, we don't care. You can do whatever you want. Makes better stories, is what we say. But there are people who will remove them so you can get a job one day. Amen? Let's go do another scripture. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There was actually times in the Bible they had to make judgments and kick people out. Sometimes people say, oh, you know, just everybody's welcome in church any which way they want to come. And I understand the sentiment of that. The heart behind that is you're welcome here just the way you are. We love you. But when you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, you'll see that some people do need to be kicked out. And the reason is is because of their divisiveness. It's not that they just sinned. It's that now in their sin they don't want to change. And now they're going to set a bad example for our children and for the others here that might be battling that same sin. And so a church is not supposed to be a place for hypocrites. It can be a place for those who are honest in their struggles and a place for those who have started to overcome, but it can't be a place for those who pretend there's not a problem and then when their problems are brought up, they get divisive. They go on Facebook, and they go, oh, Pastor Joe did this, and Pastor Berto did this. You know what you just need to do? Everybody look up at me, please. Anyone who has ever been asked to leave this church who has come under discipline, you know what we give them? A letter. Next time they put that on Facebook, just ask them, post that letter right up here as well so we can read it and hear the other side. And if you are concerned, because I'm not saying we always make the right decisions, you can sit down with them, that letter, and an elder or deacon, we promise you that meeting, and you can hear all the truth. I'm just not going on Facebook to wrestle with pigs, because the Bible said don't do it. I'm not going there to wrestle with stray dogs. Bible said don't do it. Ooh, he called them a pig or a dog. Jesus told me to call them that. Don't give your pearls to pigs, That which is sacred to dogs. Next time you hear them say all that about Metro Praise, just say, hey, man, post up that letter. Post up the letter. Tag Pastor Griselda in it, too, because if they don't want to post it and it's already getting messy, maybe Pastor Griselda will be in a good mood and just drive it like it's hot. (laughs) Maybe she'll just decide to do it that day. You see, the problem that people have when they're under discipline is they want to play their sad, sad story about all of the issues of their life, but they don't want to tell you how often we've prayed with them and cried with them and told them we're here to help, but we have to draw a line. How long do you think a meat eater could work at vegetarian.com company? How long? Hey, Barbara, we see you're eating a steak on lunch break. Not sure if you read the rules about working at vegetarian.com, but we're kind of vegetarian around here. Well, get out of my business. Who are you to judge me? Well, I'm your boss, and we are here to keep a company value system. So here's your first warning. Ah, I don't want the warning. Okay, now you get your second warning. Why is it we think that sin needs to be tolerated in the church just because we love everybody? I can love you and kick you out as well. My mom loved me enough at 18 to kick me out because as for her and her house, they were going to serve the Lord, and I wasn't serving the Lord, so I got the boot, and my mama loved me, and I know it can be done wrong. I know there's a lot of churches on the borderline of cults. Trust me, I deal with them all the time. I actually debate cults. Okay, I understand people can be very controlling, very manipulative, but that doesn't mean there shouldn't be discipline in the church. That doesn't mean that leadership shouldn't be making godly decisions because otherwise you'll be coming up here and the worship leader will be cheating with the other worship leader and the children's workers will be going through transgender surgery and then the youth workers will be hitting on the teenagers because we just love everybody. And some of you are like, how did you know about the church I used to go to? (laughs) Yeah, People come to me all the time and be like, Pastor, yeah, this one was having an affair with this one, and it was just out of him. The youth leader was was dating this. It just was wild. See, now, be careful before you go back to sinner thinking. Are you guys without sin? No, no, no. Never said we're without sin. Never said we're trying to stone you. We just said we're people with eyes that have been cleared from our planks and our specks, and we're trying to help you as Jesus commanded. So please don't act like a dog or a pig because then we got to do this one. This is First Corinthians 5.12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? So I, as a pastor, it's not my job to go hand out discipline to Trump or to go hand out discipline to our mayor or to go to your job and interfere or go hand out discipline. The Christian church is separate from the state, and we thank God for that. That was actually a Christian idea. Christians who had lived previously in England under the power of the Church of England, married with the government, came here for freedom from religious power, usurped over them. So when someone sees me preaching at a school like they did the other day, they're like, separation of church and state. I'm like, yeah, dummy, that's why I'm here doing this. Because I'm not here trying to be the state. Kids can freely come and walk by as often as they like. You know, They can cuss us out. I'm not here to force it on them, right? Are you guys getting it? That's why I believe in the voucher system. Let everybody choose what school they want to go to. And if everybody just wants to go to Metro Praise Academy, then so be it then. Come on, somebody. Let's give them a voucher. Let's see who wins. I guarantee you the private schools will win and whip all their butts. No offense against public schools, but you know what I'm saying. If we gave vouchers out, people would show you how much they care about getting God in their school because a lot of people are sick and tired of what's going on in this culture. So he said, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? Inside? You see, we can't get out there and try to force ComEd to lower its rates. We can't make T-Mobile, you know, give us free cell phone stuff. But what we can do here is make judgments on how we're living according to the word of God, not man-centered opinions, not on whether or not women wear pants or we're reading out the King James, but based on the word of God. God will judge those outside, expel the wicked person from among you. That's tight, but it's right. You can say, oh, my, oh, me, but it's better if you say, amen. Amen. So here's the thing I have to say to you as a pastor with a smile on my face. Don't start no stuff, won't be no stuff. Amen. Just live for Jesus. That's it. If you sin, just say, I'm a sinner. Jesus, forgive me. That's it. Like I said, any time you talk to anybody else, they didn't say that. That's why they got that letter. That's why they got dealt with two and three meetings. If there was only one meeting, it was because they brought it all the way to the last meeting in that first meeting. But I thank God, even people sitting among you, not to embarrass them, but they've gone through processes like that and said, these boots are made for walking. That's just what they'll do. I'll find another church and I'll Facebook lie on you. And then, guess what? After they went to so and so's church and were asked to give them four offerings, and after they were conferenced to death with $150 rates, you know, and all of this, they come back and they go, Yeah, this was the church for me. You guys actually cared about me. Nobody asked me about anything over there. I get away with it, but I'm not changing. So thanks for caring about me. And sometimes they'll even go back on Facebook and they'll say, I'm sorry for saying these things about these pastors. They didn't mean it to to hurt me. They were doing it to love me. And so pray for us as leaders because I walk with the fear of God under Matthew chapter 7 that if I do this, I'm not doing it outside of this because then I'm going to reap second metro praise and third metro praise But that's why if you look at our ministry, and some are always new and and don't realize this, but if you look at the ministry, the majority of the leaders that I have today, by God's grace, have been with me 10 plus years. So it shows that we're a healthy church, that we're not doing discipline as a cult leader. I'm not a one-man show. As a matter of fact, most of these disciplines now are being done through the church and its leadership, and they just run it by me and say, Pastor, do you affirm our decision? And I go, Go Goveas, I stand with you. Set the catapult. Let's go. Send them down the road. Amen? It gets all quiet when I talk like that, but I still love you guys. Go back to Matthew 7. Let's make sure we understood it, though. Let's go to the top. I want to make sure you don't just take it for my word to the Scripture, verse 1. Judge not, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Amen? Amen. If you have more questions about that, you can email uh, me at PastorBerto at MPICHurch.org. You can... Send me your thoughts by email. <laughs> I love this church. We are happy people. Go to verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which one of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts or give good gifts to those who ask him? Here's the most popular phrase in all the Bible. So in everything you do, do to others as you would want them to do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets, the golden rule. Jesus then moves right into a relationship that we should have with the Father. We should look to him as the best kind of Father. But did you notice how Jesus just slipped in another little name for us right there? It's like loving Jesus is not promoting nicianity. He's actually teaching us something much deeper than that. He says, guys, I know that you know how to give each other food, uh, your children food, even though you're evil, because you have common sense. Isn't that what he just said? My friend put a post on Facebook that said, Islam is evil, Hinduism is evil, only Christianity is good. And you would have thought he would have just eaten a puppy alive for breakfast because the internet exploded on him. How dare you call Muslims evil? How dare you? There's nice Hindus. And this was even from Christians. And I'm like thinking, hello, McFly, have you read Genesis chapter 3? Let's just make the phrase real simple. Everybody's evil. Without Christianity, everybody's evil. That's our worldview. Muslims have a certain kind of evil. They can do nice things like feed their children. The Bible says evil people know how to feed their children. How many know today in a Muslim family, as they're taking care of their children and the child asks for food, they're not going to give them a cobra? Take this. How many know they're not going how many know today in the LGBTQ community as they've adopted their children, how many know they know to give the child bread and not a snake? That's what Jesus is saying. But they're still going to hell. They're still evil. You're evil. I'm evil without Christ. And so now today, Nobody wants to sing the famous song Amazing Grace the right way because it's so offensive that we're calling people evil. The way people now want to sing Amazing Grace is like, a Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a pretty good person like me. I kind of had something in my eye. But now I see, I just took a couple wrong turns. I was heading back the right way, and now I'm found. See, nobody wants to sing it the right way because it's offensive. Nobody wants to be called evil anymore because all evil is accepted now. Jesus still has a standard of what's good and what's evil. And Jesus, listen to this, loves to save evil people. As a matter of fact, the self-righteous will never be saved. He says they don't even think they're sick. They don't need a doctor. Jesus says, I'm the kind of doctor that came for those who know that they're sick. So we should be able to sing it. Let's sing it together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Isn't that much better? That's beautiful. That's hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's the gospel. That's why Jesus is telling people, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's not saying, hey, pretty good guys, add some good works to your pretty goodness and you'll be saved. He's saying you need a total demolition. You need a total uh, upheaval of your old way of thinking. It's going to be so different, I'm going to call it a new birth. It's like as if you had never lived before. You're going to be so new, you're going to be a new creation. This has never existed before. All the old is going to be passed away. It is going to be so special to me that I'm going to call you my masterpiece, my handiwork, my workmanship. Those are the terms of salvation. And so in the midst of Jesus teaching us to ask, to seek, and to knock, he's reminding us of our place in the story. If we're now children, it's because we've been adopted. We didn't get born into it because we were Jewish or because our parents were Christians. We're here now as children because we have been born again into the family of God, and those three things should define our lives. We're always asking the Father for things. He never tires of us asking him to be in our lives. We're always knocking at his door, seeking him to open up the windows of heaven and pour us out a blessing that we don't have enough room to receive. And in all of our seeking, we're seeking his kingdom and his will to be done. Amen? What a precious passage. And then the most famous portion of the scriptures that Christians and and non-Christians appreciate alike, do unto others as you would have them done unto you. I always talk to non-Christians and I say, do you believe in the golden rule? And they're like, yeah, I believe in it. And I'm like, where did it come from? Because you don't get that at the Big Bang, do you? Did the golden rule just kind of fly out of the Big Bang? Here I am. You know, you don't get that. The golden rule is built into our conscience. And sadly, if children don't have good parents, that can be burned out pretty early. That's why I'm very compassionate to those who grow up in broken homes and fatherless homes, and we see them acting a certain way. It's because what was natural to them growing up and having the faith of a child was burned out through sin. We should really reach out to the hurting and the broken of our world. But it's common sense, isn't it, to to not want to do to somebody else which you wouldn't want, don't do to somebody else what you wouldn't want done to you. And doesn't that back right up into the judging thing? You see, when my mother was preaching to me the gospel, helping me get the specs out, she didn't go, okay, Joe, you ready? You know, and pull out the chainsaw she didn't take out the axe and go I got some work to do here now no she came at me gentle and kind and loving and we as Christians should be teaching the moral commands and the, the messages of the Bible the way we would want it and of course there's tough love and there's being serious about serious issues but we don't do it in a way to ever look down on people that's why I believe the golden rule is tied in between everything Thing that we've learned in Matthew 5 and 6, and that beginning part of 7, because after this, we just learn about the wrong way to do it in the right way. This is kind of like his last thing in the sermon, and then he's got four closings. How many know a good preacher has multiple closings? Like, hey guys, let's have the band come, that's my first closing. Let's have the altar workers come, that's my second. We just keep going. So Jesus has like four closings here. So this is really the last of the sermon itself before he gives the application. And I think it ties in because what he's saying is all of this we're supposed to do, but we don't do it to put others down. We do it to help them because that's how we wanted it. You know, whatever you're learning in life, think about it. Whatever you're learning in life, how do you want somebody to teach it to you? You want them to teach it to you kindly and graciously. You don't want them to be mean to you, but you want them to tell you the truth. Uh, let's say, like, you're learning a business and you're learning how to do things and, and you're bleeding out money. You don't want the business coach to come to you and be like, Well, you know, don't want to offend you or make your day bad today. So, yeah, you got great business practices. No, because then you'll go bankrupt. Let's say like, you're the manager of a T-Mobile or something, you're gonna lose that position, you're gonna lose that, that that location. So the coach is gonna come, the consultant's gonna come and be like, Okay, I'm with you. I want you to succeed, I want this place to be great, but here's how you're bleeding out the money. You're wasting too much money on these products. You need to focus on these products. You're giving too many employees uh, these hours, and they're not making your sales, and you're neglecting your greatest sellers. And you see, it's going to come tough. It's going to come with action points and things to do, but it's going to come in grace and love. Can we all make the decision here to treat others like we want to be treated, even if we're preaching the truth? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Now let's go to Jesus' four clothing uh, closings. He's going to tell us about narrow and wide gates. He's going to tell us about true and false prophets. He's going to tell us about true and false disciples and wise and foolish builders. Every single one of the examples have the same thing, a wise person, a foolish person, a right person, a wrong person. So, so much for not judging because he's telling us how to make judgments now. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. I don't know how much more serious Jesus could have been right there. Jesus is telling us we better be careful when we're following the crowd. I I mean, I'm just putting that in your heart right now. As Some of you are starting off Christianity with this. Be careful when the crowd is going in a certain direction. Deception is always deceiving to those who can be deceived. Once you know the original, you won't fall for the counterfeit. But if you do not know that original well, counterfeits can be really tricky. My wife used to work at a bank, and she'll tell you they are good at making those counterfeits. But when you're so used to holding the genuine, and you've studied the details of it, and you know how to recognize it, it is almost impossible for that one to get by you, that, that, that counterfeit. And so I, I don't say this to scare you, that, oh, you could be going the wrong way at any moment, because I do believe we're secure in our salvation. But I want you to be very honest with yourself when you start following the crowd. And that's why I use those names here as examples, because my, wa- my mom grew up like most moms watching Oprah, and it was like a new talk show, and it was cool, and she was nice. But you began to see even Christians on her show change their worldviews as she started changing. As she said, well, I was raised, because she was a Christian, I was raised to think homosexuality was wrong, but now I've changed. I was raised to think that Jesus was the only way, but now I see I'm wrong because I've made more friends of other religions and once again it doesn't mean we can't be people's friends or love them but you need to be careful when you're following a wide path because the Bible says that's how it works and so sometimes we see ourselves as Christians getting the slow clap for living for Jesus like oh you're awesome you know and then it's yeah cheer them on no most of the time you're going to get the loogie spit at you because the mob is going to come around you and be like You're the odd one out. You're the stupid one. You're the fool. Let's spit on you. You're not worth anything. The Bible says they took Timothy, the spiritual son of Paul, the pastor of the Ephesian church, and during a festival while he was preaching like how we were preaching at Mardi Gras, it says he was an old man and he was just preaching the truth. They took him and they drug him through the streets, kicked him down the road, beat him to death, and cheered as he died. That's what they did to our heroes. If they crucified Jesus, what do you think they're going to do to you? Jesus said, you're not above your master. A student is not above their master. If you think you're going to get nicianity instead of Christianity, you're, you're, you're wrong. You're going to lose Jesus in the process. Christianity sometimes offends. I'm not talking about being a jerk. I'm just saying sometimes when you see a friend going down the wrong path and you try to tell them it's the broad path of destruction, they may not like it, and we go back to the pigs and dogs thing. And sometimes you have to turn from them. The Bible says bad company corrupts good character. I pray that God will keep all of us on the right path. Amen? Amen. True and false prophets, that's where it comes back to the job that I'm doing up here. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And we could name them all throughout history. You know, the false prophet of Islam, Muhammad, the false prophet of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, the false prophet of of Jehovah Witnesses, Charles Taze Russell, and the false prophet of Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard. There's been so many, but why do people follow them? Because they're not following these instructions. Deception is only deceiving to those who can be deceived. Can I ever deceive you that two plus two is not four? Could I ever get you to believe that's five? No, because you're settled in that. See, the people who fall for this, we have compassion for them. We pray for them. Trust me, I try to get them out in the early stages and we do that gently and with grace and truth. But I'm here to say that those who become deceived by this, especially from Christian backgrounds, like all the cult movies I watch, especially the weird ones, man, like the Jim Jones documentary. You can see them, you know, on Netflix and just be careful when you watch it because they're gross and disturbing. But it's always the same. I was born and raised in church and, you know, something wasn't right. I didn't feel comfortable there. But when Jim Jones came to town, you know, and it's always always something that the church was not willing to teach them or give them, and they weren't willing to study for themselves, that that cult just comes right in and just snatches them up. So don't be an easy target for deception. How will you know if a false prophet has come? Look at it. Verse 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them. In other words, you're going to make a judgment about people's teaching. You better make judgments about my teaching, my life, my doctrine. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every tree bears good fruit, and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So going back to us helping each other as Christians We are in one sense to look at each other's fruit. That's what I should do to believe what you tell me about God doing things in your life. If you're not living right for God, I shouldn't accept your way of living as a Christian. Your fruit is your words and your actions. So if you say to me, man, I went home and prayed, and God told me that I married the wrong woman, and that the woman I'm supposed to marry is the girl I've met at the gym. So pastor, will you please marry us? I'm going to be like, satanas. Get behind me, Satan. No, 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 no. Your fruit is evil. You're saying God, you're saying Jesus, you're talking the Bible Christianese language, but your actions are showing another thing. Come on, somebody. And just in case you didn't think it could get more serious, look at Jesus in verse 21. After he says, if you don't bear good fruit, you'll get cast into the fire. Verse 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So much for everybody just getting in because they went to church and did a couple nice things. You have to be born again, and the will of God is then to obey him. You're not saved by the good works. You're saved to do good works, so your works will show that you've been saved or justify your faith, show that your faith is true. Many will say to me, oh, man, that puts the fear of God in me, man. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? There are some here today you haven't even done that and you think you're safe on judgment day. He's saying, I'm going to even say to these big players in the church, I will tell them plainly I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. If he's saying that could happen, and I'm not trying to make a judgment about Benny Hinn. I'm just using him as an example because we all see him as the coat-waving Christian guy that's healing everybody. If God could say to a Benny Hinn, potentially, I want to be careful here, that he didn't know him, then that could happen to me easily because I haven't even seen that many miracles. I see them, but I don't see them every day. These are like people performing the miracles, people like Judas, Man, if you could be that close to Jesus to even do miracles with Jesus, you think you would ever walk away? It's like, no, of course not. But we learned in the previous chapter that you can't serve God in money. Money deceives so many people because it's the root of all kinds of evil. And it took Judas away from God. It took him. And we could be deceived too. You know it's another popular one is bitterness. The Bible says don't let the root of bitterness come into your life because it can cause you to fall and it has defiled many You could think you're justified in not forgiving someone because you're so righteous and you're so much better than them. And all of a sudden, you have fallen, as John Bevere said, for the bait of Satan. Get that book if you struggle with bitterness. We'll buy it for you if you need help. Please get this book, The Bait of Satan, because it's like the devil dangles it out there, and we just take it hook, line, and sinker, and we don't realize that it's going to lead to the destruction of our soul. Because we've already learned in the Lord's Prayer, if we don't forgive sins, our sins won't be forgiven. So this puts the fear of God in me. How can we walk securely without fearing losing our salvation? Ezekiel chapter 3 teaches it very clearly. Live according to God's word. And if you are warned when you are not, listen to the warning. But Ezekiel 3 says, even if the righteous person doesn't listen to the warning, they will die in their sins. And listen, the righteous things they have done will be remembered no more. So don't count on previous righteousness to establish you with God after you've left that relationship. And Hebrews chapter 3 uses the Israelites as an example. Don't harden your heart like they did in the time of testing and then turn away from the living God. Don't do that. So live for God. And even if you have a bad day and we've been there, we've sinned, we've been stubborn. I, I mean, I'm ashamed to admit it. I lived in bitterness for about two years and thank God for his grace. But I'm telling you, I got what Warned one last time. I believe it was one last time. And if I wouldn't have listened, I think I could have lost what God had given me. I know people say, You're once saved, always saved. I believe in the security of that, but I also believe we can give it back. We can walk away if we want. And I think Judas is an example of that. Let's go to the last one. Uh, Adam, would you come, please, with the band? Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Would you do me a favor this week and either read or listen to my audio Bible, just like I did on the way here today. It only takes a few minutes in audio. Listen to 5, 6, and 7 again. Because the Bible says those who hear these words and put them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on the rock. It's not just hearing it. It's also doing. That's why James said faith without works is dead. Those who hear it need to do it to show that they have heard it correctly. You know this as parents. If I ask my children, "Uh, Bethany, will you please clean your room, and then I come around and the room's not cleaned, what's the first thing I'm going to ask her? Did you hear me? Did you hear me? Because I know I was talking, right? And then if she says, I heard you, and then didn't do it, she gets in trouble, doesn't she? What is the daughter that pleases her father, the one that, Heard and obeys. And so when I walk by the room, oh, there's, it's a clean room. Amen. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the, storms, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on what? On sand. Notice the difference, rock and sand, and both get the storms of life. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Both Christian and non-Christians are going to have storms in life. My sister died drinking and driving. I've buried people I've loved who, who lost their life because of cancer and because of things done unjustly to them. I mean, we've all been there. Life is not fair in that sense, but life is just with God. God will be a just judge on that day and make everything right. So build your life on Jesus' teachings. And then it's said about him, Matthew tells us how they responded. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. How many have heard the authority of the word of God here? Amen. Let's go to that last picture. Let's remind ourselves of what we learned like the people who were there that day. We learned about the attitudes of Christ. They have the beatitudes. We learned about being salt and light and being an example to the world. We learned that Jesus fulfilled the law in the new covenant, so now we can do things better because Holy Spirit is in us. We cannot murder now, and murder is not just not killing somebody. It's not being angry and cursing them out. We learn not to commit adultery, not just cheating, but also not lusting. We learn not to flippantly divorce, to keep our word, to not treat each other for an eye for an eye, to love and pray for our enemies. He taught us to give and be generous and not to boast about it. He taught us how to pray the Our Father. And to seek his kingdom, he taught us to fast without drawing attention to ourselves. He taught us to seek first his kingdom and the treasures of the, of the kingdom to come and not on this earth. He told us not to worry and to trust him just like the birds and the flowers do. He taught us not to judge as a hypocrite, but to judge righteously and to help others get the specks out of their eye. He's taught us to treat him as a father and come to him asking, seeking, and knocking. Because we are to do to others as we want done to us. So we have to show that Jesus has done great things in our life and lead by example. He then ended with teaching us there's the right way and the wrong way. There's the wrong path which is wide and leads to destruction. The narrow path leads to life. He says that there's true prophets that bear good fruit and false prophets that bear false fruit and the bad ones are getting cut down and thrown into the fire. He says there's true disciples and false disciples. True disciples are those who don't just say they obey, they actually show it by their works. And then he said there are those who build their life either on his word with him as the foundation and axiom, or there are those who take their own opinion, the world's ways. And as storms come against both the houses, only the wise man's house remains. How many of you want to build your life upon Jesus Christ and his word? Can we stand up? Let's give it up for Jesus as the altar workers come. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Would you pray with me before we go? Father, we thank you for this great service. We pray that we'll now apply these teachings to our lives. If you're here today and you have not been born again, today's a perfect day to start a new life with Jesus. Would you simply pray right where you're at? Father, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I repent and turn to you. Just pray that wherever you are right now to yourself, Jesus, Will come and change you, and in a few moments you could come up and receive prayer, and guess what? No one here will wrongly judge you. They'll help you get specks out your eye today. If you're here today and you're a Christian like myself and you love Jesus, would you look over your life right now as that final illustration gives us the picture of a house? And would you see the kind of life you're building with Jesus? How's your attitude? Do you have the attitudes of the kingdom? Which ones have been sticking out to you that God wants to change? Have you been salt and light? Have you been lusting or being angry? How are you doing on your prayer life? Generosity, seeking first the kingdom of God. How have you been in hypocrisy and making false judgments? How about your attitude? towards people around you are you treating them the way you want to be treated or how you think they deserve a few moments right now let's search our hearts build your life with Jesus today we'll dismiss formally in just a moment if some of you want to come forward for prayer right now you can do so if you want to stay at your seat go ahead but those who just feel like man I want to have somebody help me with this or I want to ask somebody to pray with me you can do that right now whether you're a new Christian or been here for a while we love to pray with people Let's examine lives right now. Jesus, show me how to build my life upon you. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a fountain. Some of you can just start worshiping as you're praying through it. Others keep praying. We're not in a hurry. We'll dismiss formally in a moment. Well, let's just worship and seek God as we pray. Take your time today. I will build an eye.